Amen. You know, Psalm 47.1 commands us. It doesn't simply suggest it. The Bible actually commands. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. So let me say this. Whenever we clap at the end of a song, it's not to applaud the band as if this is a concert, right? But it's to applaud the audience of one, right? So let's, let's do that. Let's give a clap. Let's get out of our... There we go. Isn't that exciting? Again, this, this isn't simply something... The, the Bible doesn't simply talk about or describe expressive worship. It actually tells us to be a little bit expressive, right? To clap, to shout, to sing, to make noise, because God is worthy of that, isn't he? He's exciting and he's worthy of receiving our praise. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, find Genesis chapter 40. Excited to be back. Thankful for Ryan being here last week and giving just a faithful sermon on how to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But it's time to get back together in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 40. We'll read uh, the whole chapter together. This is the word of God. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Joseph's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. The Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to them, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house." For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that, I, that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets in my hand, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket of my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. 
On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. This is the word of God. You know, silence can be scary, at least in certain circumstances, right? You don't want to be at a doctor's appointment and have the doctor or nurse quietly walk in and say nothing. That typically means there's bad news on the way, right? What about the silence after an argument with the spouse? That, that can be scary. Or the eerie quiet we get before a storm. Silence can be scary. But let me tell you, there's a silence scarier than that that comes from a doctor or a spouse or a storm. There is a silence from God that can be scary. Have you ever experienced a deafening silence from God? Maybe you found yourself in a situation like Joseph. He's been betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery only to be promoted from slave to serve into Potiphar's house. Things seemed to be turning around, but then he was again betrayed, this time by Potiphar's wife who sought revenge against him because he stood firm against her advances, and now Joseph is in prison. We, we saw back at the beginning of Joseph's life, he used to receive these dreams from God, promising he would rule as king over his family. Joseph was 17 when he got these dreams. He is now nearing 30 years old, and we haven't read of any further dreams or any fulfillment. The days of promise seem so far away, but that didn't deter him. Joseph has been living faithfully to God. He was honoring Potiphar, and he was honoring the commitment of his marriage, and he stood firm against Potiphar's wife just in the previous chapters. And look where faithfulness got him, down in the pit. Sometimes doing the right thing will actually end you up in the pit. And we have yet to hear from God. God has not clearly spoken to Joseph, at least that we've read, in the midst of this. Friends, the silence of God can be a scary place apart from the eyes of faith. Because Joseph teaches us that even while God may seem silent, God is never absent. God had a plan while Joseph was in this prison. And in fact, God was present in the prison. We saw last time we were together that the one who caused Joseph, Joseph to succeed in the penthouse was also the one who caused him to succeed in the prison. And what the eyes of faith show us is that God is always working behind the scenes. You might only get a little piece of the scene, but he is writing a cohesive story. We may not always see it at the time, but God is always working and he always has a purpose and a plan. And here we see that God has a purpose and a plan for Joseph in prison. Here's what we see. Here's your main point for this morning. God was using the prison as preparation for fulfilling his promises. 
Friends, why did God put Joseph in this prison? He was preparing him. He had something for him to do. And in fact, we see three areas that God gave his sort of preparing attention toward. We see first that while in prison, God was preparing Joseph's network. God was preparing Joseph's network. God wanted Joseph to meet some people first in order for him to accomplish his purposes. He needed certain relationships on his way to rule. Look at verse 1. Look what we see here. Sometime after this, this is Joseph being thrown in prison, promoted to be both prisoner and yet supervisor over other prisoners. We see sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. I love how the verse starts sometime after this. It almost kind of makes us think, well, this is all some sort of coincidence. But, friends, the eyes of faith will see that God's fingerprints is all over this. Two prisoners arrive. One was the cupbearer of the king and one his personal baker. And we learn that there were some accusations that they were committing some sort of offense against the king. And so they were thrown into the prison where Joseph was. Now, these were very important positions. You may not think much about this, but think about it. The cupbearer was a position of close trust to the king. His job was to make sure that nothing dangerous got into the cup of Pharaoh. Poison or any other sort of deadly thing could have made its way into the cup to get to the king. And certainly the baker would have had an important job, not just to bake the king cakes and cookies and all those things, but to make sure that the king's food was safe. Consider both these roles would have been key to ancient Egyptian national security. These folks were basically guarding, basically guarding the president, guarding the pharaoh, right, and making sure that nothing evil got to him. So whatever offense they must have committed or been accused of, being, of committing must have been pretty serious, right? And here we see that Joseph, who was promised to rule, is now within just a couple connections of the king. Friends, it's been interesting that God has been inching Joseph closer and closer to the throne. He's been preparing him for this. And the irony is that Joseph is now closer to the throne in prison than he's ever been before, that the way up was proving to be the way down. And that it all began with who Joseph got to know. Friends, consider this. Who has God put in your life? And how did these relationships come about? We don't give this enough thought, but every relationship you have in your family, your friend group, your class, your uh, work at school, whatever it is, none of those are accidental. God has orchestrated our stories to intersect with other people's stories. Let me have you see this from the book of Acts. Here we see this, Acts chapter 17, verse 26. 
we see, and he, being God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth and having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. In other words, wherever you are, God has put you there. And whoever else is there with you, God has put them there too. Friends, that annoying coworker, that frustrating boss, the dysfunctional family member, this is not the time to look around, right? The dysfunctional family member, God has put them in your life. They are a gift from God in your life, and he has put them there to intersect with your story. And consider this, intersections, we know this, have multiple ways, right? They're often two-way streets. And what we needed to see is that God was preparing Joseph's network by putting these guys around him. But Joseph also needed the willingness to invest in these relationships. Look at verse 6. Look what happens here. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? Notice something. Joseph came into his job that day as both prisoner and supervisor of the prisoners, and he didn't just come into his day of work and focus on himself. He looked around at the needs of others, and he saw these men were in trouble. And Joseph is continuing as he has throughout these chapters to serve others even while he is in prison. He is tempted to look inward, but he continues to look outward. So the question as you go into your work week this next week is what opportunities will God prepare for you in the people you will be around this week? God, the book of Ephesians tells us that we in Christ are God's workmanship made to walk in good works, which he prepared for us to do beforehand. So the question is, are we ready to get out of our bubble? Joseph asked a simple question, and it's going to set in motion an incredible chain of events in his life. God has prepared something incredible, and it began by preparing his network. He came in contact with two high-ranking, formal, high officers of the king of Egypt. But while God was certainly preparing his network, we see, second, that God was preparing his gifts. He's preparing who he knows, but also preparing what he's supposed to do when he meets them. Look, what happens next is a little familiar. Look at verse 5. And one night they dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Again, I love that most people would come to these events and go, man, this is full of coincidences. And I want to tell you something, there is no such thing as a coincidence in God's world. (laughs) This happened intentionally, and he comes upon these men in prison, and they just both happen to be given dreams. 
And this was a cause of sadness because they needed interpretation for these dreams. And here we see that what got Joseph in this mess was actually what was going to get him out of this mess. He had all of this interest and initiative regarding these dreams back in chapter 37 with his brothers, and that's what led them to sell him into slavery and to get him into the midst of this. But now his interest and initiative regarding dreams was going to be used for good. And Joseph's response is interesting. He says, do not interpretations belong to God. Joseph knew that what he needed to interpret these dreams and ultimately to rescue him out of the prison was to trust the God who had revealed himself to him in the past in dreams. In fact, as he gives the interpretation, Pharaoh sort of knows, or Joseph sort of knows that this is his opportunity to get to Pharaoh. He said, hey, cupbearer, hey, hey, baker, if, if, this, if these dreams are true and, and I can do this for you, can you mention me to Pharaoh when you get a second? Can you mention this and see if he can help me out? And so Joseph hears these dreams and offers two very different interpretations. He first does the cupbearer's dream. And the cupbearer dreamt of a vine with three branches that ripen. They had very different dreams in, a, in ancient Egypt than we do today probably, right? And he used the grapes to make a drink for Pharaoh. And Joseph's interpretation was that Pharaoh was going to restore the cupbearer back in three days. And second, we see the cupbearer's dream. And before we even get to the dream, we need to see his motives. Look at verse 16. Look at the baker's motive here. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable... Then he comes to Joseph and said, I also had a dream. So the baker's one of those folks that he's like, well, if the cupbearer is going to get a good report, I'm going to have to go ask for mine. You know, it's sort of like one of those things where, well, their fortune cookie said something good. I might as well check mine out, right? Maybe there's a chance. And so the baker's dream was in some ways very similar to the cupbearer. He dreamt of three cakes meant to be fed to Pharaoh, but there were birds eating them. And the interpretation couldn't have been more different. Verse 19, look what we see here. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. That's great news from Joseph, isn't it? The cupbearer is going to be restored to his position, and the chief baker will be sentenced to death. And friends, in the midst of this all, we see that God is preparing Joseph's gifts. God is preparing Joseph's gifts. Joseph was using his spiritual gift of dream interpretation to serve these Egyptians' officials and to deliver truth, truth that was both bitter and sweet, truth that both confronted and comforted. And friends, he needed to be willing to use his gifts with conviction. You know what they say, practice makes perfect. And I want you to know that your spiritual gifts and your natural gifts, whatever it is that you have, are like muscles. They're meant to be used and worked in order for them to become stronger. Friends, this is why the Apostle Paul describes all of us as parts of a body. Some of us are the foot, some of us are the hands, some of us are the head, and some people even get to be the armpits. But regardless, friends, all of us have a role to play, gifts that God has given, and they're meant to be worked and seen as an opportunity to grow. So let me say this. 
the more opportunities you have to use your gifts, whatever it is, to serve, to sing, to speak, whatever they are, to do whatever God has uniquely given to you to do is an opportunity to grow. Let me say, many of us are like, I'm not growing. And the second question should be, how involved are you in using your gifts? <laughs> what are you doing? It's sort of like the guy coming to you looking like me going, man, I really want to get buff. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'm eating McDonald's three times a week and not going to the gym. Well, I can't help you there, right? And so, friends, if you want to grow, do something in service to someone else. If you want to have your gifts prepared, use them, even if it's fearful or scary, and it will likely be at some point. Growth is always scary, and growth always hurts. It's possible, friends, that Joseph was a little scared of interpreting these dreams. I certainly would have been. Look what happened last time. He angered his brothers. They sold him into slavery. And he certainly didn't have good news for this baker, did he? But we see that faith is trusting that God was going to be with him regardless of what came about. And this was an opportunity that was preparing Joseph for what was to come. In order to do what he needed to do, Joseph was going to need to grow in opportunities to use his gifts, to grow in the grit of his gifts, to persevere in doing what God had called him to do, even if it was hard. And so the question for us is, are we using our gifts? Have you ever seen that God has uniquely gifted you to do something different from other people? Friends, sometimes that starts simply by looking around at opportunities around you and going, yes. And let me tell you something. If there's opportunities that keep popping up in your life, that's God's like shouting to you to do it. Let me tell you, one of the ways that I... Uh, began to feel the call to preach wasn't because I heard some voice saying, go preach somewhere. If, the, if you're hearing voices, there may be some other things uh, that we can meet uh, and talk about. It was rather the fact that I just kept, uh, whenever I was young and growing up, I just kept getting asked to do stuff. And I'm like, well, maybe, you know, that maybe there's something to this thing, right? And I began to grow and get better, and other people began to notice the gift in me, and that's important, not just to look around, but to get wise counsel from people who know more than you and to get their thoughts on that. But it also required grit, perseverance, exercising what God has put inside you. And so this time in prison for Joseph was a time to prepare and to hone these gifts because they're going to be very important in the very next chapter and in chapters to come. God was preparing his network. God was preparing his gifts. And finally, we see that God was preparing the time. God was preparing his time. God was making sure to put Joseph in the right place at the right time. Look what happens three days later, which is going to be an important day for all of these men. Verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Here we see that Joseph got it right. These weren't just dreams. These were prophetic 
and that Joseph's interpretation was correct. The chief cupbearer was restored and the baker was punished just as Joseph had interpreted to them. And all this took place at Pharaoh's birthday party. The guy was a little weird. The guy had some strange stuff going on at his birthday, but God knew that Pharaoh's birthday feast would be a perfect time for all of this to play out. And you can imagine that Joseph began to get his hopes up. The the cupbearer is restored. He's right there. He can talk to the king about me. Just mention me to Pharaoh, even if it's after the party's done. And yet we see that that wasn't God's timing. Verse 23 Yet the cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Joseph is forgotten again. The cupbearer gets back into the groove of life and forgets about him. It will be another two years before Joseph sees God's time. Two years before his preparation would meet its purpose. And friends, for Joseph, the wrong place will become the right place in God's timing. The seemingly wrong place will become the right place in God's timing. And friends, you may think that you're in a prison of punishment today when you're really in a prison of preparation. God is preparing who you know and who you're going to meet for things down the road. He's preparing what you can do and your grit and perseverance and your faith. He's preparing the timing and he's preparing all of this for something greater because God is always preparing you in the midst of suffering. Suffering is always there for preparation. The author of Hebrews describes suffering, if we're Christians, if we're following Christ as discipline. Parents, you understand this, right? You know, you understand that discipline is hard, but it's good, it's a right thing. Maybe even some of the kids, as they'll grow older, will tell you that finally, and you'll feel like all of it was worth it, right? Our Heavenly Father uses suffering in our life as discipline for our good. Look what Hebrews says here. Hebrews chapter 12. For they, earthly parents, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He, your Heavenly Father, disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. Friends, for at the moment we hear all discipline seems, pro- seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Here is the point. God is using suffering in the present moment to prepare you for holiness in the future. Friends, you want to know part of what God's doing in the crucible of your life? Crucibles purify things. Fire purifies things. And the discipline that, may, that you may be going through, God is using it as discipline to grow you, to strengthen you, to give you holiness in the future. And friends, the Apostle Paul was a man who knew suffering. Physically beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, left without food and water, and that was just probably a week of his life. And it just kept going and going and going. Prisons of affliction, yet not prisons without purpose. 
And all of this is why Paul could say he rejoices in his suffering because he knew that the prison was part of the plan. Look what he wrote in Romans chapter 5. I love this. Look at this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts with the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Follow the logic. He says suffering produces endurance, and when you endure in it, it's going to produce character, and character, when it fully matures, produces hope. The end of the road is hope. And let me tell you this. If hope hasn't happened yet, then God isn't done with it yet. Hope doesn't disappoint. It says because God's love and his spirit have been poured into us. This is the second thing we see. God is using suffering in the present moment to prepare you for hope in the future. God isn't just preparing you to live a holy life as you are, yes, but he's producing hope in you. He's showing us this world is not your home. Maybe the reason we feel so not at home in this world is because we were made for another. C.S. Lewis said something like that. God is using suffering in the present moment to prepare you for hope in the future. And the whole Bible is here to reorient our perspective. Joseph had spent a decade in the pit and in the prison as a slave. And we've seen that whole decade or so was well, not equally as bad. Some of it was worse than other parts, right? Yet what was to come, what God was doing through this is going to get far more attention than his decades of affliction. The present prison, as difficult as it is, will appear light and momentary compared to his time on the throne and the grand reveal that God is working behind the scenes. And Paul speaks the same way about your suffering. Look at this in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Look at this. Paul can speak of all that we talked about that he went through as light, momentary affliction preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are seen are eternal. Here's the point. God is using suffering in the present moment to prepare you for heaven in the future. Prepare you for holiness, to walk with him in the future for hope in the future, and ultimately prepare you for heaven in the future, for the day when all your tears will be wiped away, when all God's promises will be fulfilled, when you will stand in glory, all your present afflictions will be light and momentary by comparison. Friends, imagine when you stand, if you've ever stood, whether it be at the Grand Canyon, or I think you can even go to parts of this lake and look, and you feel so small, compared to God's grand creation. He says, in eternity, you're going to look back and you're going to see your life. And friends, the suffering's going to feel small compared to the glory that you will receive when you are with him. Friends, 
we will stand in glory and our present afflictions will be light and momentary by comparison. The reality of the prison will actually make freedom all the sweeter. Friends, for some of us, it might make us long more for heaven to come. And that can be a good thing because, friends, heavenly-minded people will live and try to live as God would have us here on earth. And friends, this is the hope that the gospel brings to the sufferer. To you who feel as if you are in suffering, the hope is for one who gives up trying to fix our own life by our own power. The good news is we have a Savior who went into the prison of death and to three days later rise from the dead in victory. And because of that, we who follow him by faith follow the same journey. Yes, there is a crown, but not without a cross. There is a garden, but not without a grave. I, I, I actually thought whenever I first heard that song, I, my mind always goes to the resurrection of Jesus, because guess what? He's buried in a tomb, and when Mary comes back to visit him and he appears to her, what does she say? She says, gardener. What are you doing here? And I'm like, wait, what? There's a gardener here at the tomb? And it's interesting that you've got now the, the second Adam living here in this garden and rising again. And, and, and that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. But friends, we see that there is a plan and a purpose, but it will not be without pain. That there is glory that awaits us, but not without tribulation. And this reality grants us hope and faith in the present to press forward. And today you may find yourself in the prison God has a word for you. That this prison is not purposeless. This prison isn't in vain. But Jesus has come to give eternal hope far beyond the sufferings of this present life. And let me just say this. For those who are outside of Christ, who are not following Jesus today, that the sufferings of this present world are just the tip of the iceberg for the suffering that awaits those outside of Christ. That if you're outside of Christ, this world is truly the best you will ever get. And that's why you must flee to Jesus for refuge. But friends, the good news for those who, have, who are following Jesus is we not only get heaven, but we actually, the Bible says that one day when Jesus returns, we're going to be resurrected and we're going to get the world thrown in. And it's going to be a world recreated and made without sin and suffering. And friends, that's good news that calls us to live faithfully and to persevere in the present. And friends, Jesus has spoken these words to all who follow him. Look at this. I love this. Jesus is coming up on his crucifixion. And here he says this. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world, you circle it, will have tribulation. He's not saying might, and, and there's no little asterisk down at the bottom that says except for with your name there. It's not in my Bible. It probably isn't in yours either. He says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Friends, that is the good news for us. We have a Savior who has overcome the world for us, so that no matter how dark the, the prison gets, there is resurrection light shining out of it. And friends, there is resurrection hope awaiting us. And so today, let me say this. If you are not a follower 
of Jesus. You can make that commitment right where you are. You're welcome to come forward, to pray, to seek the Lord while he may be found, and to find that, that, that there is far greater hope in the prison when you see that it has a plan and a purpose and that Jesus has gone through it all before you. And for those of us who are in Christ, may this message help us see that everything God is doing to prepare us and, to, and for it to encourage us to walk in the present. Sometimes we hear God's preparing us for the future and we're tempted to wait. Well, I'll get, I'll get real plugged in when stuff gets better. God's just got me in the oven now. And he's like, but Joseph, friends, is the model for us to go ahead and get to jump in, to dive in, and God will prepare you along the way. Friends, the Christian life isn't a hot pocket you can stick in the microwave and just be done in two minutes. Friends, it's something you've got to marinate and let sit and cook in your life. And so the invitation from Joseph's life is to get to work in your network with your gifts. And in God's time, he will bring his promises about. Let's stand and let's pray together. God, in the prisons of affliction, we are thankful that you promise to be with us. God, in the prisons of affliction, we are thankful that you have promised that for those who follow you and obey your word, you will cause us to succeed, not in some worldly success that's fleeting, but in terms of following after you and making a true impact in this world. And God, we are so thankful today that you have not left us without a purpose. That you have not left us on our own. That, Lord, you may seem silent, but that's just because you're working behind the scenes. You are always working in our life. And you have given us your word. You have spoken and told us that you're doing something and that for those who are in you, you are working all things together for our good. We ask that you would be glorified as we respond in singing, Lord, that if someone here today has never committed their life to you as their Lord and their Savior, they would do so now by calling upon you, by talking to one of us here today. And Lord, for all of us who are following you, may we be given a reorientation of our life, that these light and momentary afflictions are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. And we await that day in faith. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Let's sing that again. Good, good fun. It's who you are. It's who you are.
God is perfect in all of his ways and in the gifts he's given to us and the people and the gift and the, the spiritual gifts and the times that he has brought us to. Two quick words before we close with the benediction. First, thank you for your giving, for the way you give your financial gifts uh, toward this ministry. They really are making an impact. I'll tell you, you have no idea the amount of calls that I and uh, Ramona get for the food pantry and the people that you've fed over the last several weeks. You may never know their name, but you're making a massive impact uh, in their life for this time. And so I'd encourage you to give. There's, I know there's a basket back there, and we'll get a basket up here as well, and you can pick up your uh, giving um, letters there in the back, and there's also online giving available, and I don't know if that'll be included on that letter or not, so if you think anything's missing, let me or Ramona know, and if you've been visiting with us and maybe want to take a dive into the next step uh, in following uh, Jesus and knowing more about our church and getting more involved... Uh, there's a connect card at the back desk as well as online and just mark on there what you're curious about and someone will uh, follow up with you yeah we here have a blessing for the road a promise from god's word to send us out into the week to serve him where he would have us around the people he's put around us this from first peter chapter five and after you have suffered a little while the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever.